Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Well, I'm going to start this morning. We're actually finishing Galatians today and moving into a new series uh, next week with our month of prayer. I'm going to start by sharing uh, three stories that Jesus shared. It's always good to illustrate actually from the Bible. We've got our own personal illustrations, which are good, our lived experiences. But to illustrate from the Bible is also very, very handy and very good. There's one encounter that Jesus has, and one, it's one of my favorite encounters, and you may know this encounter. It's, it's Jesus is out and about doing his thing, teaching, and all of a sudden, a group of religious leaders kind of grab Jesus and they throw this lady in front of him onto, onto the ground, basically, is the sense we get, and says, this lady has committed adultery. This lady has committed adultery, meaning she'd been sleeping with someone that was not her husband. Um, and not only that, uh, because she's committed adultery, the law of Moses says that we are to get rocks and throw stones at her, to stone her to death, basically. And they're right. That was what the law of Moses said, if you were committing adultery. Uh, and I always wonder when reading this story, where is the guy? Uh, he kind of just walks out or gets away. They didn't drag him in front of, the, in front of Jesus. But they were trying to test Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus in some way. Uh, and then Jesus, uh, I, I can just see this encounter with him looking at this, this young lady who has obviously done the wrong thing. We don't know her story. Uh, Jesus probably would know her story, uh, know her background. And he does something really, really interesting. He says to everyone who is there, he says, if any of you haven't sinned or has not sinned then you can pick up a rock you can pick up a stone and you can throw it at her imagine imagine having a rock thrown at you deliberately you know i remember as kids you'd get the little bundies do you still call them bundies and the old bundy would hurt but imagine an actual rock and then not only one, lots of them to the point where you just die from getting rocks thrown at you. This is, this, is, this is her future. This is what could happen to her. But Jesus says, okay, guys, whoever hasn't sinned, you guys can pick up a rock and you can bundy it at her. You can do that. I could imagine it going really, really quiet then. And we get this kind of weird thing where Jesus goes down on his hands and knees and he starts scribbling into the sand. We don't know what he's writing. We don't know if he's doing Sudoku or whatever he's doing. He's doing something there. He, uh, some say that he may have been writing out the sins of the people around him. It doesn't really matter. He's just kind of waiting. Imagine the girl. She probably is thinking, when is, when is the rock going to come? The anticipation of, bam, getting hit, bracing as this rock comes in to hit her. And what we see in the story is gradually, it says, one by one, what happens? People start to disappear. And people start, like, <laughs> walking off. Because they know in their heart and their mind what they, they think of and what they do. In fact, maybe some of them have actually committed adultery as well. And so one by one, gradually they start to disperse. And the text tells us that it comes to the point where the only person there is this young lady and Jesus. And Jesus kind of says, where are all your accusers? Where have they gone? There's, there's none left. Now, Jesus could pick up a rock and throw it at her. Why? Because he had not sinned. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He actually says to her, okay, no one else has done it. No one's thrown a rock at you. Uh, I'm not going to throw a rock at you at all. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show you grace. I'm going to show you forgiveness. And he says, go and sin no more. 
He says, don't do this, this life, this isn't the life that you should be living. This isn't good for you. Go and sin no more. You see, the, the religious people and people who are legalistic want to, it's almost a competition. In fact, they get excited when they see someone else sin because then they can show everyone and tell everyone and say, look how bad this person is and look at me. I'm so good because I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Their, pers- their, their goal isn't to restore this person, this girl, this lady. They're not worried about her life. They're not worried about helping you get out of that situation. They're all about pointing it out so they can look better than they are. And Jesus says, right, let's see how good you are. No one picks up a rock. There's another incident, or actually this isn't an incident, Jesus tells the the story where he's talking to a a great crowd. I think this is the, the Sermon on the Mount. He starts talking about, he says, do not judge others. He says, don't judge other people. Now, we, we I think, have uh, taken this out of context a little bit, especially people who don't generally go to church. Uh, Christians aren't meant to judge. Don't judge. They kind of love. That's one of the only things I remember that Jesus said, that you were not allowed to judge. But the context of what is Jesus actually saying here? Well, he actually is saying that you can judge people. He says, but this is, what, this is the proviso. This is what you need to do first. He says, why do you look at your brother and sister and, and try to do, uh, perform eye surgery, try to get the sawdust out of their eye. You've noticed something wrong in their life, a little bit of sawdust, and you're trying to pick out the sawdust out of their eye, when you've got a big plank of wood kind of sticking out of your eye. You've got a 4x2 plank of wood, you've been to Bunnings and you've walked into it, it's there, yet you're more concerned and worried about this tiny little bit of sawdust in someone else's eye. He says, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You need to pull that plank out of your own eye before you can start trying to pull the sawdust out of someone else's eyes. And there's so many things, Jesus, you can get from that. He's he's trying to say that that, uh, you need to evaluate your own attitudes, your own motives, your own intentions before you try to judge someone or call someone else on their behavior. And maybe uh, it's easier to call other people out than actually focus and reflect on how you're acting and how you're living. And so Jesus says, pull that out before you go and perform eye surgery. I don't know about you, but if I was going to have eye surgery, I probably wouldn't want the doctor with a big piece of wood in his eye performing the surgery. And so Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. Don't don't do it. Don't do it. You spend so much time finding all the little things yet you've missed the big one in your own life. And the, and the third story that I'll tell, again, this is Jesus telling a story. This time Jesus was in the temple. People would come to the temple and they would pray and they would uh, bring offerings. And, and, he's, and he's talking again to the religious leaders. And, and <clears throat> he talks about how one person uh, is a religious person who prays. And when they come to the temple and they pray, they say, God, I'm so good. Because uh, right next to him is another person who's praying who, who was a tax collector. Uh, and he says, this person who was a good person praying, saying, God, I'm so good. You're so, gl- you're so lucky to have me following you. I'm nothing like this tax collector, this dirty uh, traitor tax collector. I fast uh, every couple of days and I pray and I bring offerings. God, I'm so glad I'm not like this person. And he's saying it out nice and loud so everyone can hear. And in, those, in that situation, the temple, you would, that's, you'd, you'd kind of call out your prayers and maybe even stand on a piece of limestone and call out your prayers. And, and then you get the, the, the prayer of the tax collector who says, I'm just a dirty, filthy sinner. 
I've, I've dropped the ball, God. I've made mistakes. Help me, help me, help me, basically is his prayer. That's the Anthony Palmieri translation on sale at all good bookstores, by the way. Um, but, but that's that, and, and Jesus says, why do you want to be like this person? He says, the person that prayed like this is better, is closer to God because he is honest. He is real. This person is just putting on a show to look like they have it together. And what does this person do? He's comparing, saying, this person is not as good as me because this person does this. And in many ways, those three stories, in some ways, kind of uh, not sum up Galatians, but this last little bit of the Galatians that we're looking at this morning, those three stories are reflected in what we're going to look at this morning. You see, you know the story of Galatians. We've almost got to the end that there's a group of uh, Judaizers, uh, believers who were uh, Jewish and were circumcised and were telling other Gentile Christians who believed in Jesus that they needed to believe in Jesus as well as be circumcised, as well as follow the other uh, cleanliness rules, the eating rules, all that kind of stuff. And they were saying, you need Jesus plus something else. And all it was was legalism. It was trying to have a higher ranking, trying to have a kind of caste system. And we've been saying this the whole way through the book of Galatians, that at the foot of the cross, the ground is what? Level. Why? Because we can't get there ourselves. We can't make ourselves smell better, look better, taste better. It's all the work of Jesus. And if you get that wrong, you're in trouble. If you get that wrong, that's, that's, you start to go off track. You see, the legalist is, is, is always harder on other people than he is on himself or on herself. Someone who's legalistic will point out everyone else's faults and, and be really hard on, the, on other people, but not so much themselves. The legalistic person will condemn others uh, to use the, the sinning person, the person who maybe has made a mistake, to make themselves look good. The legalistic person rejoices almost when, when someone falls and makes sure everyone knows about it so they can boast about their own goodness. You know what? The legalism isn't just in religion. I've even found a little bit of this in, even in this current situation with the state politics. There's almost this kind of competition and this, this, oh, if you did it this way, you did it that way. And it's almost, oh, look, they've mucked up or they've dropped the ball. And, oh, and there's almost this rejoicing in it. The legalistic rejoices, the legalistic person rejoices when someone falls and, and makes sure everyone knows about it so they can boast about their own goodness. The legalistic person lives by competition and comparison. The reason they have to compete, the reason they have to compare is to make their life look better. That's, that's how they're getting their value. That's how they're presenting themselves before God and before other people. So this morning, as we wrap up Galatians, uh, it's important to know or remember last week we came, uh, we, we've come out of chapter 4. Paul turned the corner and talked about how we are to live and we're to live by being uh, in step with the Spirit. And if you weren't here last week, we looked at this diagram. Uh, we are all filled. We've got the flesh, the desires of the flesh. The word there, sarks, is this word of uh, flesh. Or, uh, and, and, and sarks is everywhere. It's this aspect of that we are broken and that the world is broken. And this brokenness will try to control the way we live and the decisions we make. Remember we talked about that? And actually, when you become a Christian, someone else takes up residence in you. Who's that? The Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, but Sarks doesn't go anywhere. Sarks is still there. And now you've got this what? This conflict, this battle. Remember he says, do not uh, gratify the desires of the flesh, the desires of the Sarks. Don't, don't gratify them, but do what? Live in the Spirit, be filled by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and then you will uh, produce the fruit of the Spirit. And so whenever we live in the Spirit or are filled with the Spirit or yield or give way to or stay in step, the, the flame is bigger and overtakes sarks. And whenever we give in to the flesh, sarks comes back and the flame gets a little bit smaller. So the idea, the life of the Christian is to be step by step by step by step with the Spirit. Not gratifying the desires of the flesh, but rather uh, step by step in the Spirit. And so this morning... We come to this little bit of a passage. Uh, chapter 6 says that there's a chunk at the end that basically just says the same thing. So I'm not going to preach on that. You can read that at home. I'm going to look at five verses in chapter 6. And then the rest, at the end of chapter 6, it's Paul saying that he wrote the last bit of the letter and that kind of stuff. Um, there's five verses. And we're going to look at this aspect of confronting someone who is sinning. It's something we don't normally talk about for various reasons, maybe uh, because we're, we don't like conflict or maybe we don't know how to do it and all this kind of stuff. But this is what Paul's going to address in, in regards to if we're living by the Spirit, this is how we approach it. So let's have a look at this. First five verses of chapter 6, it says this. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit, or live by the Spirit, yes, uh, live by the Spirit, should restore them gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deserves, uh, he deceives himself. Sorry, let me read that again. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. So we're going to see in these five verses, there's so much packed in these five verses, heaps of stuff packed in these five verses. But we're going to see, uh, we're going to see a concern. We're going to see who's responsible. We're going to see the goal or, or the, what we want to achieve we're going to see the way to do it. We're also going to see the attitude we should have. We're going to see the why we should do it. And then also we're going to see uh, the personal responsibility. So let's have a look at the first one. Verse one uh, is the concern. What is the concern? It's, it's caught in a sin. I don't know if you've ever been caught in a sin. This, when, when you read it like that, it sounds like someone, it's like someone's caught you, you they've, you've been catched. That's not what the, the language is talking about there. It's, it's got this concept or this meaning of to stumble or to be tripped up. This picture of the believer or a Christian who stumbles or makes a false step in, in their walk. Another translation is overtaken by sin. Again, it carries this idea of being almost surprised. Uh, it's not so much a, a full-on deliberate disobedience. And I just want to quickly do a side note here. 
You love my side notes because they go on for 15 minutes. This side note, I, I do want to state from the beginning. Because we're going to talk about here how we are to confront someone who is sinning and we're going to see how it should be done, Christian to Christian. But there's also a time, and in Corinthians Paul says this, you'll see here that we should do it in a way that is loving and caring and gentle. But there also is a time that needs to be swift, swift, robust, strong, and get them out of here. So in Corinthians, there was, there was an aspect of sexual immorality, sexual sin, almost predator-like. And the Corinthians kind of th- fell asleep on the job, so to speak. And Paul says, I warned you, you were too slow. You needed to kick them out because they were bringing harm to people. Their behavior was bringing in a bad witness and, and a harm. So you need to move on that. And sometimes as Christians, we, we can get caught in the trap... I know this is a bit of a paradox and there's a bit of a tension here that obviously we forgive and obviously we show love and and, and you'll see this is how we're meant to deal with aspects of conflict but there's also a a time where we need to protect, we need to stand for justice, we need to advocate for people that don't have a voice and that requires strength, it requires swift action. You know, I heard recently that... uh, and let's, let's just say it out loud, sexual uh, pedophilia in, inside the church or sexual abuse inside the church, that they used to even argue. Some, some ministers would argue, uh, if you look in Matthew 18, you know, there's, a, there's kind of the process of, of going to the person individually and, and, and seeing if we can resolve the issue. And, and, and they're saying that the abuser should do that, to go to the perpetrator and, and seek forgiveness and then if that doesn't work out go go to something you know that passage and if that doesn't work out go to the elders and if that doesn't work out go to the go to the whole church I'm sorry in the context of that that doesn't work you don't expect the the abuse the victim of abuse to to go to the perpetrator and so we need to sort this out no that's where the Christian leaders step in and say this is wrong and we were going to examine this we need to work it take it to the all that kind of stuff so I know that's a little side note I'm starting to get a little bit sweaty under the arms but the reason I say it is because sometimes we can use this as an excuse oh you just got to forgive everyone and 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 we almost make light of forgiveness you get what I'm saying can I move on no one's everyone's like you've lost it too many I I just want to say that okay let's keep going um that wasn't in my notes so so what is the concern that someone is caught in sin that you are a brother, a friend, a sister is, is stumbling or struggling with a sin, is, is being tripped up, whatever it may be. Okay, that is the concern. That is what Paul is saying. And the issue, if it's led or if we keep this person, allow this person to keep stumbling, it's, it could lead into more serious things. But also there's a sense in this, in this text that the person needs help to get out of this struggle. And, and the other thing I want to quickly make before we keep moving on is what Paul does here is he contrasts, he's going to contrast the way the legalistic person handles conflict or someone who is, is stumbling or struggling in sin and the way the spirit-filled, grace-filled Christian talks to someone who's caught in sin. 
Look at the contrast. That's what he is saying. So what is the concern? The concern is someone who is caught in sin. Then we're going to see who has to do something about it. Who has to do something? Well, actually, uh, it's the Spirit-led person. You who live by the Spirit. Remember last week we talked about that when you become a Christian, you're baptised in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit lives in you. But then there's this process of living in it step by step. Now, this is really important to note. It doesn't say, uh, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who likes to gossip should restore them gently. Some people think it's their responsibility to let everyone know what they're doing wrong in their Christian life. Actually, not everyone's meant to do that. Right here, we see that Paul says there's a requirement here, isn't there? What is the requirement? That you are what? Living by the what? Living by the Spirit. If you're not in step with the Spirit, if you're not filled with the Spirit, if you're not living, uh, walking with the Spirit, then you don't have any right to call anyone else on their life. Because you may be looking at the sawdust and you've got the whole plank across your face. Remember that? The words of Jesus? That's what Jesus is saying. And Paul is saying a little bit different. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you, so there's a responsibility as Christians, to help our brothers and sisters when they're struggling in sin, but we need to be living in the Spirit. We need to be praying. We need to be reading our, our, our Bibles. We need to be connecting. We need to be. If we're not doing any of that, I find some of the biggest uh, critics are actually people who don't go to church. They live on the blog of blogs of blog of fear or whatever, and, and they're so good at the keyboard warrior stuff. And who knows what life they're living? They're accountable to no one. That's not, Paul's not saying that. Paul is saying, no, if you're living by the Spirit, then you have the responsibility. Then you have the right to speak into other people's lives. Christians need uh, to be neither quick to criticise nor afraid to confront. Now, I think uh, some people may be quick to criticise, but I think for the majority of people, we're probably scared to confront. We don't like to confront. I don't, I, don't, I don't like to confront people and, hey, you know, it's hard. But if we're living by the Spirit, if we're filled with the Spirit, we won't be quick to criticise. We will check our attitudes. We'll check our motivations. And we'll have the courage to help a brother and sister because we know that this is what's best for them. They need to hear this. Uh, you, and, and we need the Spirit's wisdom on this. It's not just a gut feeling Gut feeling could be what you had for dinner the night before. You need the Holy Spirit and you need to be led by the Spirit in that. So we've got the the concern caught in sin. We've got the who, anyone who is living in the Spirit or walking in step in the Spirit. Then we've got the goal. What is the goal? What is the motivation? What is the final outcome? Well, it is to what? Everyone say it. Restore. Restore. Great work, Steve. We should restore that is, the, that is the goal. The goal isn't to shame them. The goal isn't to say, hey, look at this person, but look at me. The goal is to restore them to their walking step by step in the spirit. That's what we are to do. Um, again, this is a really interesting term. It's actually a term used to uh, when, when you dislocate a joint or you break a bone. To restore means to put... Here's a, here's a picture of a dislocated, anyone know what joint it is? 
It's a knee joint. No, it's a shoulder joint. <laughs> Everyone's a doctor. It's a, it's, it's a COVID shoulder joint. No, it's, it's, a, it's a shoulder joint. Is it dislocated? <laughs> Absolutely. It belongs up the top there in that little pocket. Um, and so this word restore means to basically put back into place. It's a medical term to, to put the dislocation back in or to, to straighten up the broken bone. That's what the goal is. The goal is to restore that person. The goal isn't to, again, shame them, call them out, to compare, but actually to restore. Now, to put the bone back in place is actually painful. Painful. But it's a healing pain. It's a healing pain. That sounded a little bit um, parent-like. This is going to hurt me more than you. Come on. Uh, so it is painful, but it's a healing pain. And so I remember 25, how long have I been married? 25 years. Uh, just recently, I got recently, me and my wife, Siobhan, we got engaged and, and uh, I bought this massive wedding ring. It was probably the size of engagement. It was like that. It was huge. Um, it wasn't really. But anyway, it was a month's wage. And so we just got engaged. My wife had this engagement ring. She played a basketball game and uh, she's gone like this. She's took past the ball, she stepped forward and this other girl has ran in and hit her chest hard and I think her arms um, kind of got caught in, in, under the other girl's arm and pop, her joint has come out, popped like right out. There's a big lump here and I'm like, I can't marry this lady and I just left. <laughs> I said, it's freaky. She looks, oh my gosh, I didn't sign up for this. Um, <laughs> she's there crying and screaming. I'm like, you're on your own, give me the ring back. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't do that. So we took it down to Murdoch Hospital here, St. John of God. There was no Fiona Stanley. And we went in and they gave us some drugs and she was great. And she was saying things that she regretted saying after when she actually caught up and met the nurse in the city the week later that was treating her. And she's like, oh, did I say that? Sorry. Anyway, the doctor... The doctor, the doctor asked me, do you want to stay and watch? They're going to put it in. I said, no, I'll just go off to the side. And, and I could see through the curtain. And the doctor got up on the bed. Well, what's, he going to, what's he doing there? And I thought this was a first world country. He's up on the bed. And I uh, basically put his knee, I think, on a chest and popped that baby back in. And uh, it went back in. Now, the interesting thing about it was, is obviously she was on medication, um, but there was almost an instant easing of pain. Now, there was obviously still the ache and the, of the, the turmoil of the bone being pulled out. But once that joint went back in, it, it's, it lived there. It belonged there. That's where it's meant to be. And there was an easing of the pain. And this is what Paul is saying. This is this word, restore. We are to restore that brother and sister who's been caught in sin, who's stumbled on sin can be a little bit painful for both parties, but the goal is to do it in a way that brings back, puts it back in the place so she can full range of movement back into the step-by-step step and walking in the spirit. So, so, so we go back to the text. Uh, we've got the concern, accord and sin. We've got the, the who, the person who lives in spirit. We've got the, 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 the goal, which is to restore. And then we've got the way. How do we do it? Doctor said hard and fast. <laughs> Actually, gently. Gently is how Paul says we are to do it. 
We're to restore the, the brother or sister who's stumbled gently. Not to give him a mouthful, not to shame him, not to say, you idiot, you know, I'm so much better than you, but to actually do it in a way that is gentle. Now, even the doctor, when he was up on the, on the bed pulling it in, it was still gentle. You know why it was gentle? Because she had medication. So she, the doctor could have said, right, we're not, we're not giving you any painkillers. We're just going to restore it. That wouldn't have been as gentle, would it? Here, just bite on this and we'll see what happens. But there was, no, there's an aspect, no, we do this gently. The best we can, we're going to relieve the pain. It is going to hurt a little bit, but boom, okay, there you go. That'll be $700. <laughs> so when we go to people, we do it in a way that is loving. We do it in a way that is gentle. It could be the timing, it could be the way we say it, it could be the approach. So let's, let's look at the contrast. The, the spirit-led or the spirit-filled person would seek to restore the brother or sister gently in love. The spirit-filled believer, again, living in grace, step by step with, with the, the Holy Spirit, will seek to help the stumbling brother or sister, whereas the, the legalistic person will condemn the person, condemn the person who has stumbled, and then use the sinning person, the sinning brother or sister, to make themselves look good. And I've even, I've done it before, in the, even when we're praying, you know, even when you, you might be praying and you're, you're just letting people know that this person hasn't got it all together, but I'm going to pray for them. And that's what you're doing. That's actually legalistic. You're letting people know that this person has stumbled, this person has dropped the ball. You know I haven't, and that's wrong. The legalistic person rejoices when someone falls and makes sure everyone knows about it. How do you do it gently? And there's different ways you need to think about who you're talking to and and what you're going to say. But it is done in love and it's done gently with the goal of restoring. Restoring. And then we keep moving. We see the next one is attitude. This is kind of similar to, to, to gentle or the why, but what type of attitude should we have? This is, this is quite interesting because look what the text says. Uh, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Now you might think, what has this got to do with attitude? You generally read that and you, I think your understanding would be, that if I go and, and help this person who's caught in sin, that may cause me to sin. I may catch their sin. Is that how you read it? Everyone just nod. That's how you read it. I know you did. My, that's how, and there's an aspect of that's what it is saying. That you've got to be careful when you do that because you may, but you can't catch sin. It's not like a... That's what the Pharisees and religious people thought. You could almost catch it by getting too close. And that's why they despised Jesus, because he would hang out with sinners. So what has this actually got to do with attitude? Well, what it's saying is, when you go to this person to restore, led by the Spirit, gently, you need to go with the attitude knowing that actually you too could sin like them. That's what it's saying. Your attitude should be, I'm no better than them, and on any given day, I too could stumble, and I too could make a mistake, and I too could be caught by sin, and that person could be coming to see me. Does that make sense? So, so that is what it's, it's saying. 
the believer realises that no person is immune from falling into sin. He or she has an, uh, an ability or an attitude of humility because they realise their own weakness. Whereas the legalistic person has an attitude of pride and condemnation. They're like, I don't need to consider myself because they pretend that they don't, they don't sin. Whereas if you have this attitude that this could be me, that affects the way you go, doesn't it? Look what Tim Keller says here. This is a great quote by Keller. He says this. Uh, I'll read it up on this screen. I can't read it, that one. I can only just see the screen there. We won't be able to winsomely confront someone if we think we are not capable of a similar or equal sin. If we do feel we are above the person, our air of superiority will come through and we will destroy, not restore. Does that make sense? That's really clear, I thought. But when I just read it, I, I, I kind of thought it was more to do with the catching of the sin. But no, it's actually your attitude. You go with an attitude of humility, an attitude of, of grace. Uh, we, we are to look well uh, to ourselves and to remember, I'm not sure who said this, today it is my brother or sister, tomorrow it may be what? Me. If we go with that attitude, then we've, we've got a better, better likelihood of going gently with an attitude of restoring, not an attitude of uh, pride. Okay, finally we come to the why. Uh, so we have all of that. We have uh, the why. I'm, I'm slowly running out of colours. I'm onto the purpley pinky colour. And he says this, carry each other's burden. So he's talked about the, the concern, who should do it, the, uh, the reason or the why. He's talked about the how. He's talked about the attitude. Now the why. He says, carry each other's burdens. Now, throughout the New Testament, we, we see similar kind of terminology about uh, loving one another or supporting one another, being there for one another. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Christ sorry, To love one another. When you go to the person caught in sin because you're led by the Spirit to restore in a way that is gentle, that it has an attitude of meekness, grace and love. When you carry others, each other's burdens, guess what? The, that's the why. You're fulfilling the law of Christ, to love one another. When we do that, we love one another. When we throw pride and condemnation, we don't love one another. That's not the law of Christ. We're to love one another. It takes a Christ-centered humility to bear the burdens of each other. Christ-centered humility to bear the burdens of each other. I, was, I heard this great little cute little story of two boys, two brothers walking down the street and uh, the little brother says to his older brother, oh, I'm getting tired, can, can you carry me? Older brother says, yep, no worries. So he hops on his back carrying him along and, and uh, they're walking down the street and there's this guy watering his lawn and, and as they walk past he kind of chuckles the guy who's walking his lawn and says gee he must he must be heavy and the older brother says no he's not heavy he's my he's my brother and it's a cute little story but the reason I love it is because as church as Christians we often refer to each other as what yep and family family see you will carry the burden of, of family that you wouldn't carry the burden of, of a stranger. There's something about family. You'll go the extra mile, won't you? 
you will carry a little brother, even though he's a punk sometimes. But, but you will, because he's what? Because he's family. So you carry the burden of family. Now, we're, again, we're called to love everyone, but there's a sense when it's family, you carry the burden. The church is a family. Paul is saying we're a family. Carry each other's burden. And in this way, you're going to tick the why. You fulfill the law of Christ. We're to carry each other's burdens like the little brother on our back. Then we come back to attitude again. Uh, he goes on and talks about this. He says, uh, it, where are we? He carry each other's burdens and this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks, say, I love this. This is awesome. They should put this on a coffee mug. You won't see this in Kurong on a poster. Or If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Um, I'd like to know what the message... I should have a read of that, how the message paraphrases that. Basically, if you think you're something, you're not. There's so many ways I could say that, but they're not appropriate from the front. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. You fool yourself. Each one should test their own actions. So this is about the attitude. When you go to someone, don't act like you've got it all together. Don't think you're better than them. You deceive yourself. You're foolish. And before you go, you need to test, why am I going? Am I going there so I can... Because last, I remember that time, they came and spoke to me about something I did. Oh, I've got them. Is that your motivation? Don't go then. It's the wrong motivation. Test your actions. Why are you doing this? Is it to restore that person in love, in grace, gently? That's what Paul is saying here. It's all about attitude. And then he says, well, if you've done that, good, excellent. Then take, you can take pride in, them, uh, in themselves alone and without comparing themselves to someone else. You're not, it's not about comparing. It's about restoring. Restoring. So we're back to attitude. And the last bit, verse 5, we'll end with this. Uh, this is verse 5. Uh, it's up there. For each one should carry their own load. Now you may be thinking, Paul just said there in verse 2, carry one another's or carry each other's burdens. Now he's saying for each one should carry their own load. Which one is it? You know, um, Burden and load, they're two different things. Burden here is the, an actual heavy weight. It's the, the weight of something, a heavy weight. Whereas burden is this concept, I suppose, or it's a backpack, basically. The load is, sorry, a backpack. Burden is a heavy weight. For each one should carry their own backpack or soldier's pack. Some, some commentators talk about it being a soldier's pack. So what is this talking about, the last one? The last one, I think, is this. And again, I don't think we get this too well currently. It's personal responsibility. There's a difference between burdens... And there's a difference between carrying our own backpack. I think this is what Paul is saying. Burdens are, again, a heavy weight. Load here is a, a, a backpack that we, we all carry. What is the load? It's our personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. Today, you turn on the TV, everyone is blaming someone else. Even when they, when they do something horribly wrong, or they should, have, they should have stopped me earlier. It's someone else. And we do that in the church. We need, to, we need to take, there is personal responsibility. So, so yes, your brother, you should rely on your brother to, to help you and carry your burden, but you have personal responsibility as well. You've got a backpack to carry. 
You've got your soldiers packed to carry. Put your shoes on. Get dressed. Get moving. That's what it's saying. Have have other people got your back? Of course they have. But you've got personal responsibility as well. We should help one another bear the heavy burdens. This is the responsibility of the Christian who's living by the Spirit. Let me read it because I've written it down. We should help one another bear the heavy burdens of life, but there is personal responsibility that each person must carry themselves. So if if I hop in my car... 2015 Corolla, take the kids to school, I turn on the engine, it's not working, it's broken. Uh. I go knock on my neighbour's door, is there any chance you can take my kids to school? Don't bring them back, just take them. Okay, is there any chance you can do that? I can help you out, man. Thank you. I'm like, that is actually taking some of the burden off me in that situation. But does that mean that person can assume the responsibility of being their, their father? No. Whose responsibility is that? It's my wife's. No, it's mine. Sorry. (laughs) It's my responsibility. That's my responsibility. Only I can have that. Only I can take on that responsibility. Why? Because I am their father. No one else can feel that responsibility. That's my responsibility. And I have to have personal responsibility for that. So yes, people can help out with some of the burdens, but we all have personal responsibility. Whatever that is in in your life, you have personal responsibility. Um, you have the ability to help others in their burdens, but also your own actions, your own life to live. You see, there's one burden that you can't ask someone else to carry. Do you know what burden that is? That's the burden of, you could see it at the weight, I suppose, of, of, of actually saying yes to Jesus. You can't farm that out to someone else. That's a personal responsibility. Paul says that's your responsibility. Paul says here in the book of Galatians that it's just Jesus. You've got to say yes to Jesus. You can't farm that out to some kind of religious practice or, or doing some kind of uh, physical action to your own body or, or praying so many times a day or going on some kind of pilgrimage. You can't farm that out. It's only Jesus. It's quite simple. But it's it's a choice, a cost that you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. You can't farm out that burden. That's your own responsibility. You have to make that choice. You have to make that decision. Jesus plus nothing. And maybe, I don't know where you're at. Maybe this morning, as we've gone through Galatians, you've kind of thought, you know what, there's some aspects of my life that are actually quite legalistic. I need to, I need to throw them off. If that's, if that's you this morning, praise God. Maybe if that is you, you might want to talk to someone else and, and uh, ask them to keep you accountable or more so just to chat about it and say, hey, I struggle with this and I've become legalistic about this. Can, can, you, can we just meet every now and then and can you pray for me about it? Maybe this morning, as we've read this last little passage, there's, there's someone that you feel like, you know what, I need to just have a conversation. Maybe uh, previously you've handled something that wasn't quite right. You've called someone out on something and the way you did it wasn't gentle. You, the way your motivation wasn't to restore. Maybe that you need, there's a time you need to be courageous and bold right now and have a conversation because you know that there's a brother and sister in, in your life that is what? caught in sin is stumbling is being tripped up 
Or maybe you feel like or you know that your life, you are tripping up and you actually need help. I'd encourage you to speak to someone, go to the prayer point, come to one of the pastors, send us an email. Or maybe this morning you have farmed off or passed on the burden or trying to pass on the burden of knowing Jesus to something else to someone else well my family goes to church or I was christened as a child or I put money in the offering but do you know Jesus have you said yes to Jesus have you said Jesus I believe in in my heart it says you've got to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord have you done that because that's the only thing that saves us that's the only thing that saves you and, and, and at the end of the day, it's your responsibility. Not the person next to you, not your parents, not even the church, not the pastor, but you. When it all is said and done, God's not going to say, what church or did you go to church yet? Are you a Christian? Well, they, they didn't help. They didn't lead me to Christ. Who was the pastor there? Oh, that Anthony guy, you. He's going to ask you, what did you do about my son? What did you do with my son? How did you respond to the things that my son talked about? He's going to ask you, no one else. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And again, I don't know where you're at this morning. But if you do not know Jesus and would like to say yes to Jesus this morning, I'm going to pray a simple little prayer. And if it's a prayer that is real for you, I want you to just pray it in your head. And in fact, if you want to pray that prayer, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up. And sometimes you think, why do I have to do this? You don't have to do this. It's not something that God says you did or you didn't put your hand up. But sometimes we need these kind of physical markers of commitment So if you want to pray a prayer of yes to Jesus this morning, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up. I'm going to just be still for a little bit, nice and high. Got a few hands up and then I'm going to pray. It's Jesus asking you to say yes today. Your responsibility, not mine, not the person next to you. And it's got nothing to do with them. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got nothing to do with the person next to you. It's all about you and Jesus. Good. Lots of hands, which is great. Let's pray. So if you put your hand up, I want you to repeat this prayer in your mind and your heart. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've dropped the ball. I know that I can't live up to your perfect mark. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross and rose three days later. I believe that you paid the price for my sin and I accept your forgiveness. I accept your free gift of salvation. Jesus, today, through your work on the cross, I take full responsibility of my spiritual life. Jesus, today, 
I fall under your authority. You are my King. You are my Lord. You are my Saviour. Jesus, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.